Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the 2021 Ravens defensive line and our positional reviews as we continue these. Here to join me today for that uh, broadcast is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how you doing, my friend? Good, Ken. Glad to be back. Glad to be talking Ravens. Always a lot of fun. Uh, I hope we don't let this conversation go too long like we always do. I'm just <laughs> kidding, of course. goes as long as it needs to go. Defensive line, an interesting position for the Ravens in both 2021 and looking forward. But let's let's start by looking backwards uh, at the season they had. Obviously, a season interrupted for some of the Monstars. Uh, Derek Wolf, in particular, uh, sat out. Did he play at all? Did he play no. a snap? He didn't, he didn't play I at all this so. year. Yeah. And came, tried to make it off IR, might have been twice even. He tried to make it off IR, but, uh, but was not able to do it and eventually uh, put aside for the entire season. And, uh, and it's, it's a shame. It's the first year of a three-year deal. Ravens have not been having great luck with their long-term contracts recently. Yeah, well, when everybody gets hurt all the time, the, the luck is bad <laughs> across the board. Um, you know, he's Derek, Derek Wolf's an interesting guy. And, you know, I think it's interesting to look back at this defensive line because, you know, they ended up the, you know, the Ravens ended the year being the lead, the league leader in terms of rushing defense. Now, that's yardage. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean what it, what it, what it used to mean um, in terms of kind of the variation among the league. But I, I think that's a testament to what these guys did on the defensive line and the scheme and the approach and, and what the Ravens are trying to do, um, you know, with this group of personnel. 
Yeah, it's a, it's certainly something the Ravens have, have traditionally been good at. And uh, in the last few years, they've actually made some concessions on the defensive line in order to uh, you know have the better pass defense. They've built, built more back to front. Uh, they've... Uh, they've always had, you know, good safeties, good corners on this team. It's something we've come to expect as as Ravens uh, fans. But more than that, a, a very rested rotational defensive line is another hallmark of Ravens defense. And uh, the Monstars, uh, Wolf obviously out. Uh, Brandon Williams did not certainly play as well as he has in the past. Finished with a great game against Pittsburgh, I thought, in Week 18. Uh, by far his best game of the year, but uh, but had a lot of problems this year. Uh, and one that we haven't seen so far was tackling. Yeah, you know, the, the Brandon Williams signing long term is is an interesting one to kind of take a look back at. And I think I think that's one of those ones that if it had happened five years earlier, it would have worked out really well in terms of a deal. But I think the league evolved enough during or was already evolving when they signed him to the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he kind of became a, an odd man out in terms of what, what kind of production and what you needed from a guy on the defensive line. And so throw that in on top of kind of aging and regression in terms of his skill set. And uh, retrospectively, for a lot of people that didn't like the deal at the time when it was signed, um, it turned out to be one that probably was not ideal. Yeah, it's a big I told you so from those folks, uh, I, I, I'm sure. Uh, he, he, you know, you look at the Ravens' rush defense when he wasn't there, and you realize how important he was to this defense in terms of how many yards per game they gave up when he when he wasn't around. Uh, incredibly, in his final game as a Raven, he led the led the Ravens in pressures for the game with three, which is really something that uh, has been a, a, a constant bugaboo that that he's not been a, a good generator of pressure. Yeah, and and it felt like at times, you know not just Williams, but kind of across the defensive line. I mean, they, without Wolf, the Ravens still felt like they didn't have a guy that could generate pressure when they needed it. Matt Abike, and, and we'll get into all these guys, was the guy I think that a lot of us were hoping could become that guy. Calais Campbell, I think we, we had hoped to see kind of more in terms of the pass rush skills. I, they, they weren't a bad group of guys, but, um, you know, pretty middling, I think, overall, when, when you give a snapshot of what they contributed to the pass defense. Yeah, I do think Calais has probably contributed more to the pass defense than you're giving him credit for. But uh, uh, but with Williams, do you see any chance that he'll be back on, on, on any terms uh, before we move on here? I mean, it would have to be that minimum, I think, or something in that, that vicinity. And if he's willing to play at that kind of role, I, I think there could be a place for him and, and be a guy that he's the, the last defensive lineman in the right games. He's inactive and in, in, or the wrong games. He's inactive in the right games. He gets a big role because it's a run heavy team and, and that's a good fit. But um, it'd be interesting to see if there's a market out there for, for that kind of player, because I think that there probably isn't. Um, so, so maybe we do ultimately see him back on a pretty cheap deal. Right. I, I, I don't see this as a vet min deal, but you never know. DaCosta is a crafty one and, and he may say, you know, hey, establish your market. If you want to play, we got a spot for you. I think he'll make Jimmy Smith kind of money like three million or incentive laden where it might be up to four million, depending on snaps or that sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't think it will be a pure vet min deal in the in the case of Williams. Uh, and, and if if I were him, I'd probably consider retiring if uh, uh, you know, if I had to take a lot less money, really, I, I 
the first thing I consider is how much I love the game still, you know, playing it, being in the locker room, all that. There was a time when, you know, he got to ride out on the cart with Suggs and that was a really big deal to him, or it seemed to be at camp. Uh, I'm not sure how much he, he just loves it as opposed to the natural balancing act you're playing with. How much is the grind impacting your body? How much is it, how difficult is it to rehab from injuries? You know, how much pain do you go into the off season with and, do you really want to carry this around for the rest of your life? And I think there's, there's some legitimate questions that Brandon Williams got to answer uh, with the relative salary being what it likely would be. Yeah. And, and he's been, you know, the last couple of years, he's been a little banged up, you know, he's missed some, some games here and there. We haven't, I, I don't I think it's been at least, at least two years, if not three since we, or the last two seasons, he has not played a full season. I don't think, I don't think we've, it's been a while since we've seen 16 games from him. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, when, when he was going out in the earlier part of that, it was a huge negative impact to the Ravens run defense. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like less so, you know, in, in terms of what that impact ended up being down the road. Right. I mean, Brandon Williams has been tremendously durable for his career. He's played since 2013. He only played seven games and they, they hadn't quite fit him into the defense completely then. But then 14, starting in 14, 16, 16, 16, 12, 16, 14, 13, 13. From a defensive lineman, can't argue with that durability in any way, shape, or form, I don't think. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely agree. And, and you know, it just seems like the injuries have been catching up with him more. And sure. relative to relative to whether or not that plays a role in him retiring, and especially for these big guys, right? Like, you have to assume that, you know, just like you see with these offensive linemen, when Yonder retired, I mean, he was a different human being within yeah. three months of retiring from the Ravens. And so you probably imagine something similar would happen with Brandon Williams. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd expect he'd lose some weight. I, I don't expect him to be the, the, the same type as Michael McCrary and some of these other guys. I think he has a natural kind of a larger build to him, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Uh, you know, one of the things that we, and the re- reason why the Ravens have to consider it is they really don't have any nose tackles for next year, at, at least in the book. The other guy who played a little nose this year, I think is probably done, Justin Ellis. Uh, part of the general trend of the Ravens that they have a lot of 30 plus linemen now, and it's a position last draft that they really needed to rebuild. And I thought this is a great chance to get Christian Barmore. He was one of the guys I liked for the first round. Uh, they didn't, they didn't do that. And they also didn't draft any defensive linemen. You know, again, he's one of the, not taking uh, Chris Tonga or uh, uh, some of the other guys who were available in round seven was something that really kind of bothered me about the Ravens not even taking any step to rebuild the defensive line, but they probably didn't have as high a grade on him. And uh, they liked Ben Mason better or they, you know, the powers that be decided he was the guy. And uh, it, it, they're going to have to take steps this year with the draft. I think they'll probably have to expend two picks on the line and probably also have one free agent to, to patch their way through and then next year have another pick on that defensive line as well. Yeah, it does seem like the Ravens, I mean, for a team that seemed to have, that does have a long history of really developing, you know, some, some rising stars on the defensive line, or at least guys that can plug in, you know, the Michael Pierce's, even Brandon Williams, mm-hmm. you know, under, undervalue or, you know, lower in terms of their draft picks. We haven't seen some of those guys kind of really come up. You know, I was, I was taking a look through PFF's grades before we, we hopped onto this podcast and there, there he is sitting at number four overall for interior defensive lineman is Zach Seiler. Um, and that one still kind of sticks in my craw because he was a guy that popped a lot in the preseason for the Ravens. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, really could have, you know, I, I didn't even understand when, when he was a guy that wasn't getting on the roster just because it felt, it, it's felt like the Ravens haven't had a lot of defensive line depth for a few years now. 
Um, and so, um, you know, obviously a successful year for him, at least according to Pro Football Focus. Right. He's a, he's a you know, a, a prototypical five tech in terms of his size. And, and you know, when a guy like that can play three and five, like Wolf can or like Campbell, Campbell can play anywhere, but like, like Wolf can or Campbell can, uh, you really have something because the five tech position in a lot of ways is going away. The three tech position is where the Ravens have a little bit more talent. They're obviously kind of stockpiled with having Justin Matabike there as a guy they, they, they still hope is an ascending player. Uh, I don't think they got completely the ascension they wanted him out of this year. I, I, I think that'd be fair to say is they got, you know, probably 60 percent of the ascension that you'd hope for in terms of a second year player. Yeah, he I wonder if Matabike is scheme restrained on this team, you know, because there are probably eight to 10 plays a game where you see him do something and you're like, wow, that's really impressive. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's been in the run game where he's crossing the face of his, you know, the guy that's trying to block him. He's just, you know, absolutely just demolishing and throwing guys aside some, in some of those instances, um, you know, bullying guys way into the backfield and just blowing plays up just by kind of like in terms of the spacing. Um, and we regularly see those splash plays. But then, but then in the pass rush moments where you would expect those skills to translate over, right? Like mm-hmm. some of those same things to come to fruition, um, those things go away. And so I'm, I, you know, or they don't go away, but we haven't seen as much that, you know, you right. haven't seen what you, you thought you might get from him. And so, um, you know, he's a little undersized. I wonder, you know, whether or not some of that has to do with kind of durability for him or kind of endurance or anything in that regard. But, um, you know, I, I hope he's ascending too. I think a lot of people expected more this year. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I, I, there's so much to unpack with what you've just talked about here, but there's a couple of things about Matabike. First of all, he's not really playing many of the pure pass downs, so we wouldn't see much as much of him as a rusher. And you know, obviously, when you're on an earlier downs, you have to be more careful about playing the run, playing the pass, and, and uh, uh, you know, knowing what your assignment is and whatnot. Um, not to say that that doesn't exist on third down as well, but he, he's also a pure three tech and he wants to play on the outside shoulder of that guard and beat that guard one-on-one when he gets into double team situations, which can happen on earlier downs, of course, um, that's not as good a situation for him. Then, then his undersized nature really, I think comes into play and the Ravens have him and Broderick Washington, both of whom are similar type players in the sense that they're, they're size-wise, they're similar. Broderick Washington, not nearly as quick, uh, but a disruptive guy, nonetheless, and a guy you'd, you'd want to play at a three-tech if, if you could. Too small to play nose. And right there, that's a pretty big limitation in rebuilding the line, to have those two guys there who are really pure three techs. And a lot of the really great linemen you can go out and get in the draft are three techs in college because they want to get that one-on-one matchup versus the guard. And they've, you know, you've seen them there, you know, obviously you're dealing with a, um, a bigger size and shape pool at the three tech spot uh, because you really only have to be about 300 pounds and, and, you know, six, two to six, four, and that range is all fine. It's, it's, it's a, uh, uh, it's a big size and shape pool there. It's a much more constrained size and shape pool when you're talking about five tack or when you're talking about nose tackle. And those are the areas where the Ravens are going to really need to rebuild. They need two nose tackles. And it, they are available. I mean, every team in college has them. But it's but it, it becomes a, a more challenging rebuild time. Yeah, and, you know, we saw it with, you know, you mentioned Ellis earlier. And, you know, we've seen the Ravens fill the nose tackle spot. Mm-hmm 
in a pinch with guys that, you know, and again, this kind of goes to scheme. You just need the right guy that kind of fits yeah. into how the Ravens use that nose tackle and is capable of doing those things. And generally speaking, you're going to get kind of average production, I think, out of that guy um, for what you're asking from him because you're not, you know, asking them to do a ton, right? Like Brandon Williams, I think, mm-hmm. was asked to do more out of that role or was asked to do more out of that role, which is why he was it was so effective to have him as the nose tackle against the run game. Uh, but I think they can go out and fill those spots. You know, I think it's it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Ravens, you know, stay to more to the true kind of three, four nature and continue to kind of get smaller and figure out ways to get some of these guys on the field together. You know, and, and we can talk about we'll probably talk a little bit about Clayus Campbell in more depth and whether or not the Ravens think he's a guy that comes back. But like, do, do you need a nose tackle? And, you know, in terms of scheme and approach, you know, is that something that, that they're going to continue to lean on? Yeah, you need big bodies for big situations, and you know, the, mm-hmm. you're going to have to have some of them on the roster. Um, but is it going to be as high of a priority, and are the Ravens going to try and change the way they try and get those guys on the field? I would gladly trade being 10th against the run in the league for 10 spots of ranking against the pass, if that meant, especially it meant from pressure or sacks or things that were being created for the defensive line. Yeah. That, that's an, it's an easy trade-off for me. It seems that the Ravens have not been willing to do that. They, they continue to keep this historical approach of we're going, we're going to stop the run and then, you know, try and situationally make a couple big stops on third down when we have to. They play in a division where you have a couple of teams that have traditionally liked to run the Steelers who, who, you know, obviously would probably prefer to run, but in recent years with Roethlisberger eroding have, have leaned, have had should have had to lean on it more. Their offensive line didn't really allow for it, but, but the Cleveland Browns, obviously a team that, that runs and, you know, from divisional perspective, if you've got teams in your division that like to run out of 11, I don't think you can play without the really big bodied nose because that guy gets double teamed every single run play. If, if they're running out of 11 and the, and the field is spread. So I, I just, I think you need more than that. I think you do need, you, you need to have a nose tackle you can lean on and, and probably to play a significant number of snaps because you're going to have him on most first and second downs. And then once you have one, you need to be able to rotate. You need to be able to have depth, all the things. So Ellis, um, where he really broke down with the Ravens was when they, when they leaned on him. I thought he's a pretty good player when they were just asking him to rotate for maybe a third of the total snaps that you would have a nose tackle on the field. The position that's going away is the five tech. And that's where, you know, you, you, you don't play base defense very often in the NFL. Few teams against you, you have to do it. And the Browns happen to be one of them uh, where they, they don't want to put you in those 11 as often. They want to get big, play big with six offensive linemen. They want to do it with three tight ends. Um, but, but, you know, in, in those cases, you really need to still have three defensive linemen who are, who are large. Uh, in other cases, like the Bengals are really more of a committed 11 team where, where Joe Mixon would prefer to run against 11 and get an extra heavy of yours out of the box. Yeah, that's a, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think the Ravens, and this is more a broader comment on the defense, you know, it's, it's hard to evaluate the final results of what we saw from the defense this year, obviously, because mm-hmm. of injuries. But even early on, I mean, there weren't that many injuries early, you know, before Elliott went down, before Humphrey went down. Um, you know, pre Josh Bynes being added back in the mix, Derek Wolf. other than Marcus Peters being out, you know, and Derek Wolf being out, you're you're a relatively healthy defense, and they weren't great to start the. It wasn't like they were gangbusters to start the year, and then it just eroded because of injuries. They weren't great to begin with. 
Um, so I'm interested. To, uh, it'll be intriguing to see if the Ravens take a different approach to scheme at all, how they think about that or whether they just kind of keep rowing the boat the same way they have been. I, I, I don't have an opinion one way or the other, quite frankly. I mean, if the injuries did start right away in week one with Westry got hurt against against uh, Las Vegas in one of the last plays of the game. I think it might have been on the on the. I think it was on the last, catch. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And uh, did Averett go out in that? No, Averett was the was the last man standing for most of the season. So yeah, he, he made the pick the after, the, after we left. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, by the way, in that game, guys, uh, Jordan and I, you know, met before the game. We got to shoot craps, which is always fun. But but we we uh, we w- sat in different places in the stadium. Then we left the game, and each of us left on what appeared to be that first touchdown. We actually waved high to each other outside the stadium, crossing, going different directions. Then I walk across that bridge to go back to Mandalay Bay or wherever it is, and and all of a sudden there's this weird post-apocalyptic look, or people looking back at the stadium, and you know it's like, is there a fight? Is there a fire over there? What's going on here? And 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 they said, no, the game's not over. You know, look look over there. You can see into the stadium out of the jumbotron. That's where we ended up watching the the end of the game from. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty wild. It was pretty Surreal. wild. But Surreal. you know, I, even. Right, like the Westry injury was late in that game. I, I guess Jimmy mm-hmm. Smith was. I think Jimmy did Jimmy Smith play in that game, or he was banged up early, so he might have been. I can't. That's so. It's so long ago now. But yes. uh, either way, I think the, the defense was intact enough and wasn't successful. Wasn't successful to the degree of what I would have wanted to see even early in the season. You know, um, and and that was pretty disappointing. And so, you know, is that personnel? What what are, what are the questions the Ravens need to ask on that? I'm I'm interested to kind of see what Dacosta's approach to that is, and in, in balance of both the draft and free agency. Right. I mean, to to me, in terms of the pass defense, the 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 people that were being picked on consistently early in the season, the LJ Ford injury ended up being pretty severe for the Ravens because that meant that uh, Queen was on the field more, and he he got picked on like crazy. Board got picked on like crazy. And uh, Harrison was on the field early in the season, which was a lot. He played about 170 snaps, I think, in those first five, six weeks. Uh, he got picked on a lot. Uh, you end up, you know, that inside linebacker core was so weak that I think it weakened the the rest of the shell, too, in terms of what the safeties had to be responsible for and, you know, how they had to had to uh, make up for what those linebackers were missing in there early on. Uh, it, you know, it's, it goes back to the old thing that they, they will find that guy if you have a weak pass defender anywhere zone man whatever you're doing if, if you if you put a weak player out there if you you know patrick queen is probably the example we picked on most but you know it's not like any of the inside linebackers were good in coverage this year uh you know that's that's where they'll find that i think probably if i had to stay say how they're going to pick up ground of the type you're talking about jordan it would have to be from being a committed quarter team so they're going to have to get those inside linebackers off the field entirely on third down four safeties three corners and a four-man pass rush, and I think if they did that, I think you, you, we could we could really see some cool things. Yeah, and I, look, I, you and I, I think are both. I think you are, if I recall, yeah. both Geno Stone fans. Um, yes, all the interception, the interception from him in the Pittsburgh game. I think he's he's held the free safety position really well. I think he's an instinctual guy. I know we're talking about the defensive line here, uh, but yeah. I hope he I hope he's a guy. I, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any reason that he won't get a crack at Elliott's role um, and and then we're going to see him be a lot more in the defense next year. 
Right. It's it's a real question because now, it, you know, one question was, is there a market for Elliott? Could the Ravens possibly afford Elliott? Now I'm wondering, is there a spot for Elliott? I mean, I think they, the Ravens would probably like him back, but durability being the question it's been, you know, it may be a matter that they get priced out of the market. You know, if if we're talking two years, four million, sure. Sign me up for that right now. If we're talking two years, eight million, I don't know. I think I might need to move on at that price. And and, and I th- he may have offers that are, you know, in that neighborhood. But I think the Ravens give him a, you know, basically tell him to go find what the market is and then come back to them and they'll they may make him an offer at that point. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the Ravens just need to move to having a true free safety. The Ravens haven't had, you know, since they moved on from Thomas, haven't had a real free safety. Right. Um, and I think I think it, they've struggled because of it at times. Yeah, so they had Thomas, and and he was he he did things that you couldn't see, but they you know they had Eric Weddle who was effective for a couple of his three years in Baltimore, and then they had uh, obviously had Reed forever, and and uh, in between that? there, they, yeah, <laughs> in between there they had a lot of a lot of uh, and then Brad Woodson too. Boy, it's been a great great run of free safeties here in Baltimore. Eric Turner. Uh, Anyway, the, the uh, Calais Campbell, we really didn't, I think, finish on. Calais Campbell, end of the year, I believe, was still zero sacks for the year. And I didn't, do, I didn't really look at that. It's amazing that I don't really know it, but it's one of those things that he's doing a lot of things effectively uh, without getting sacks, including getting pressure. Um, but uh, at some point, you, you, have to, you have to finish on some of your, uh, of your um, uh Things. Actually, I, I think I see him for 1.5 sacks here this year. He had one against Pittsburgh, and he had a half a sack against Cincinnati. So looks like he didn't he didn't get shut out for the year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with your sentiment that the and the Ravens and they, their outside linebackers do the same thing. I mean, they're they're I can't count the number of times it feels like they had the quarterback by an arm and then just over pursued mm-hmm. and just missed him. Where if they would have just kind of conceded to the contain and, the, and use the pressure to get to the quarterback instead of looking for kind of like the big takedown hit that they, I think they would have had another six to eight sacks on the year um, and some in some big moments too. Um, and so the Ravens have got, and that's the thing that I think they've got to figure out. How do they, how do they generate, how are they generating pressure with four and five man rushes that aren't exotic? Um, and, and if they can't get that figured out, I think long-term, that's going to be a big problem for this defense. You know, the last time we, you know, the moments that we've seen this defense in recent history be really effective is when they can get a four man pass rush and it's a natural, a natural, I mean, obviously any defense is going to be better when they have a natural four man pass rush. Um, but I think they rely a little too heavily on Wink's creativity and and that's not to take away from it. I, I actually think it's really valuable. Um, but at some, some, you know, in some ways you've got to be able to stay in some form of base for, for some period of time and be successful from time to time in the NFL, I think. Well, it, would, it will make the pass, the, the back end will have an easier time if they're not, you know, diving off the A gap to, to get to their coverage assignment. I mean, that's that's been a regular ongoing problem. But, I, I, you know, it, that, that flexibility is very valuable and it's going to be gone at the beginning of next year is my fear. I mean, Owe and, and Hayes will go into next year as the, as the Sam linebacker. So one of them is going to have to take the role. It's probably Hayes. If you play him a lot of snaps, you have no idea if you're going to be good or not. I mean, he's a second-year player who's never never stepped on the field in terms of a, of a meaningful game. I think that's true. Did he have a snap or two in the, the first game of the year or something? I, I, I don't remember, actually. But, but he, he's basically never played a meaningful snap. And he's going to be the guy they look to. And the, the other guy they can, they can look to is Owe, who certainly has all the physical tools to, to play the Sam linebacker spot. I think he could be a great coverage player. 
but you you probably want him spending this offseason trying to refine pass rush moves more than anything else. I mean, I'd want him working with a positional expert to get those elements down uh, because he, he seemed to take such a big step forward in a lot of ways this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with all that. Defensive line. Let's let's get back to it. So is there anybody we haven't discussed on the group? We, we, we talked about Broderick. Okay, the oh, two Broderick. practice squad guys. Oh, I just I, a quick note about Roderick Washington. I, I was rather impressed with him uh, more than a couple times this year. He was a guy that I mm-hmm. thought when the year started may not make the roster. Um, yeah. And when it was all said and done, it wasn't splashy and he wasn't asked to do a lot. And in a lot of instances, he was kind of the first guy off the bench to fill, fill in. But he had a couple more than a couple splash plays. Um, and that, that's nice progress from him. And it'll be interesting. To, he's an interesting guy to keep on an eye on for next year. Because he also had some weird offseason stuff going on, too, before yeah. they even got into the season. Yeah, he, he was a guy whose who's play in 2020 did not tell me for sure he'd even be on the team. And then he changed that narrative during the 2021 season to be he's, he's got a spot for 2022 for sure with the, with the Ravens. You know shortcomings and 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 his ability to uh, you know play at a at a higher level. I think he's certainly not his spot is in any danger. There's there's two other guys on the Ravens who both are very interesting. Khalil McKenzie came in played a little bit of nose tackle. He has that designation of being a guard that the Ravens may try and push the envelope on. I keep trying to call him a guard for next year so they get an eighth eighth offensive lineman on the field who can help them on defense. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, if they can do that, if they can get away with it, they'd, they'd be fools not to. Uh, so we'll see how that, that works out. Any, anything about McKenzie before I move on to my next guy? No, okay. I, I, you know, I think it is what we, he is what he is kind of thing. The other guy is Isaiah Mack and, and he looked really good in that last game against Cincinnati he had, had parts of three sacks. He had an actual sack. He had a sack that was, uh, taken away by penalty, which was unfortunate, but that's, uh, you know, that's what happens. And then he had another, uh, one where he got the initial pressure on Broderick Washington sacks. So, uh, definitely a, a player who showed some, some punch. Here's the issue. Isaiah Mack is listed as a nose tackle. He is way too small to play nose tackle in the NFL, unless you're you're completely changing the rules for what nose tackle are. He's right around 300 pounds. Uh, he's a little bit short, too, even though he looks like he carries more weight than that. Honestly, he looks bigger than that on the field. I think maybe some of it is height, that he really isn't all that heavy. Um, he uses leverage very well, I think, and, and to me, he looks like another three-tech. He doesn't look like a he doesn't look like a nose. He looks like a freaking three, which it's not terrible. I mean, he seems to be a good player, but the, that's the one position the Ravens seem to have stocked already. Yeah, I, I mean, we definitely saw him flash a little bit, and and that you know that, that's great to see. And and I'm on board, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the Ravens seem to have three guys of the same shape and body type, and so you know that begs the question: how you how are you going to make that work? You know, if you're Baltimore, and and how are you going to layer all that in if if he's the guy? Uh, he can still help you in goal line and and do some things. I mean, no, nobody's Michael Pierce. You'd like to have Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams in in both a gaps in goal line defense or in short yardage defense. That that really just provides your team something that you can't otherwise get. But you know, if you can't do that, you know, you you, you can string a bunch of three hundred pounders across the line, and and these guys are are good leverage players. So you know, hopefully they can they can do what they need on plays like that. Um, it's just it's uh, it, it is frustrating exactly where the Ravens have got themselves to in, in terms of, of not having any of the really big bodies anymore. 
Yeah, and Aaron Crawford's a guy on the practice squad or IR, right? I don't, I don't know where he ended up being, but he flashed a little bit in training camp. Yeah, um, and was a guy that I, I know some people were a little concerned that he was if if on placed on the practice squad was going to get picked up by another team. Yes. Um, so you know, hopefully we see some progress from him. I mean, look, the Ravens, if anything, deserve the benefit of the doubt about being able to go out and find undrafted guys to fill the nose tackle and the big body roles in those instances, mm-hmm. or use some of these late or like mid to late ish round picks and, and hit on them because they, they they seem to have a good formula and a good approach. So you know, I have some level of trust that you know they'll draft maybe one. Or, or they'll draft the right number of guys and it might feel like it's too few um, for a lot of uh-huh. fans and then use the undrafted to kind of right. fill in the gaps. I, I, you know, I'm okay with that. And maybe they've got their undrafted guys already lined up in terms of who they, who they expect to get. But if they, if they draft no one, that would be the number that would really worry me. If they draft one guy, particularly if it's a premium pick of, you know, one, two kind of guy, then I, I, I trust their judgment in terms of, of, of doing it. Uh, uh, I, I'm much more concerned that they get two offensive tackles in particular two guys who can play left tackle out of this draft. Yeah. I think it's pretty unlikely we see a, a first or a second round defensive lineman. I'd be, I'd be surprised by that. Jordan Davis. At I, 14? Mean, I, I mean, I, I guess if he gets there, it's, it's possible, but I, th- I think there's actually a pretty good chance. I, oh, yeah? I think I, I, I'm not sure he, he's uh, taken in the top uh, 12 or 13. We'll see. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a humongous body, but there's a bunch of pass rushers that what there aren't this year is a bunch of good quarterbacks. And what typically happens in a draft season is the quarterbacks kind of got identified and they start shooting up the charts and then there's trade focus and whatnot. A lot of teams need quarterbacks. Maybe a lot of teams are figuring they can get him in the second or third round, but you know, we want lots of quarterback buzz before draft day. Does that will help the Ravens? I think a couple more things I want to say, Isaiah Mack um, is not a rookie. Okay. He, he's already played two years in the NFL prior this year. This is his third season. So he's actually an RFA this next season. So he's not a guy with a bunch of future value. Um, he's a guy that they, the Ravens will have to decide on immediately. Do we want to try and sign this guy for two years, say right now? And I think it would make a lot of sense to do that. They, they, they're not going to want to tender him, but they might want to, might want to sign him for, um, or, or maybe they will tender him. And because the tender is non-guaranteed and they can cut him, they just say, okay, look, we can, we can pay you 1.2 million or, or we can let you walk, but we can't pay you the, the 3.5 million. We, offered you yeah i i think that i think that makes a lot of sense and I, it the ravens are going to have at least from my last look i i think the ravens are going to have plenty of roster flexibility for next season they've got a lot of guys that are coming off the roster um yes. so a lot of a lot of holes to fill but then a, a lot of kind of I, I think that they'll set up just like you said which is like leaving themselves some flexibility getting guys in that are you know in, in some non-guaranteed format that that they can move on from or if they pop the guys that, that ultimately make the roster. Jordan, always a pleasure to talk football. Is there anything we missed on the on the defensive line here that we should anybody we should be talking about? Wolf's return. What what percentage chance would you give for that? What is there? Cap, is there even cap savings? If if two hundred thousand, so basically no, because the guy they would the guy they would pick up would cost more than that. But if if Wolf can't play, they'll take the two hundred thousand in cap savings and you know yeah. apply I, that towards the player who can. 
I heard I had heard from someone that he was relatively close. It was just like a pain, like a pain tolerance issue. It seemed like the Ravens had a lot of that this year, actually, where guys were mm-hmm. guys were close or or kind of capable of playing. But, you know, what were the ramifications of kind of taking that extra shot and, and, and pushing through all of that? And, and those guys didn't play. So I don't know. I, I think it's be- I think it's better than 60 percent chance that Wolf plays eight games next year. OK. I mean, hey, I'll take that right now. Certainly, if we're if we're rolling dice for it, uh, but anyway, that's a that's a reasonable uh, you know guy to take a chance on with with the, with the cap savings involved. They'd be foolish not to, right. and and I think also just bring him to camp and and having him lead from there would be a value as well. And you know, hopefully, I, who knows if the Ravens will have Justin Houston next year? Obviously, I think they'll probably try and retain him in some capacity, but. Um, we saw what he did for the defensive line and how, to, or for the, the outside linebacker group, and 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 how nice that was. Jordan, it's always a pleasure to talk football with you, and and we always seem to run over by a little bit. Not bad today. Uh, uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, I'm at Raven Sit Room on Twitter and at uh, Film Study Baltimore. You guys can check us out. Um, my co-host Gabe Ferguson and I, he's at Gabe Fergie, um, run, a, run a podcast over there. So uh, we'd love to have you in, talk a little bit about games and try and break down some of the important plays that happen each week. All right. Outstanding. Folks out there, if you're looking to, to uh, get on a podcast with me, I'd love to have you. This offseason going to have lots of open mic kind of time. If you're passionate about something on the Ravens, think of this as your favorite call-in show. Uh, you will be vetted, but <laughs> think about this as your, as your favorite call-in show where we can talk about something. And uh, I'm looking for people just to have an interesting point to make. The narrower, the better, so we can go deep in about 25 minutes. Uh, love to talk football with you. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.